This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Five years. Five years, folks. Five years. That is 1,825 days. 260 weeks. And if my math is correct, in that span, Jerry Brisson and I have done 229 Food First shows. All because we wanted to change the conversation about food security in our state. We've done it and continue to do it even until today. We didn't like what was being said about the issue of food insecurity, the conversation about the family struggling to get enough access to the food they both wanted and needed. And we wanted to stop talking so much about how big the problem is and start talking about how we could begin to solve it. Early on, Jerry set the tone for this show by declaring, you can't solve a problem you don't believe can be solved. He was and still is spot on. If you don't think a problem can be solved, then you would never spend any time thinking about a solution. I think Jerry has been listening to the great philosopher, Captain Jack Sparrow of the Pirates of the Caribbean fame. When Captain Jack declared, the problem is not the problem, the problem is your attitude about the problem. Five years from the start and here we are, still working to solve a huge, multi-layered, intertwined social evil called hunger. We have learned, we have listened, and we have worked. We have gathered people around us who trust us, who believe investing in families we serve is a powerful idea, and who believe creating a food-secure state is a worthy pursuit for all of us. Our guest list over the five years reads like a who's who of influencers from across the state, and in many cases, the nation. We've had candidates, governors, United States senators, Congress people, state reps and senators, department directors, billionaires, leaders of health care, banks, corporations, and we've interviewed people like me who were once food insecure and have lived through this hell on earth experience. Through five years, the Farm Bureau family of companies believed in us and continue to sponsor the show and have now shifted their focus as a company on how they can use their assets to address food insecurity among children. In 2023, we will be both better and different. We will continue to be bold, maybe bolder, in the declarations about this work. We will continue to not only change the conversation, but build a strong movement to take hunger off the table for kids, seniors, and everyone everywhere that is living under the toxic stress of food insecurity. After five years, Jerry and I are not deterred. We are not broken. We are not tired. We are here to bring more people under our tent to create a food secure Michigan. So join us next as we look down memory lane and at all we've learned from doing this show about food insecurity and how to solve it over the past five years.
Welcome everyone, Jerry, five years. Jerry Prasad, the CEO and president at Gleaners Community Food Bank and the, the president of the Food Bank Council Board of Directors and co-host, our partner, my partner, in this uh, endeavor of Food First Michigan. And I got to say, man, it has been a pleasure. Well, I'll say the same thing, Doctor. Uh, you know, we continue to learn more and more and more. And there is a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. Um, you know, one of the things we've said for a long time is the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve, right? And, uh, and even though that's a tongue-in-cheek uh, way of, of describing uh, food insecurity and, and why it exists and, and what can be done about it. Still in all, learning is one of the key elements of solving, right? Yes. So what have we learned in all these years, these five years of working on the show, and who have we learned it from, right? And I think about those 229 shows and all the guests that go with it and the time we spent at at the Mackinac Policy Conference that the Detroit Regional Chamber puts on and and the, the time we spent in meetings in between trying to answer questions like, well, who really benefits when this problem is solved? And not just the people getting food, right? But who else benefits when this problem is solved? And listening to the guests that we've had, and you just rattled off just some of the categories, bankers and billionaires, as well as school teachers and and uh, the provost of universities. We've had authors of books. We've had, um, you know... Economists. We had uh, you know. high school students who were running a, a, a pantry of, of their own up north. And, right. and, and everything in between, right? And, and as we've talked to each of those guests about, you know, do they benefit? How does their community benefit or, or their circle of influencers benefit when this problem is solved? It is unanimously agreed that the benefit of solving this problem affects significantly more people than just the people getting the food. But, but, but wait, there's more, right? <laughs> we talked about and continue to talk about what is the face of hunger and is that changing or is it the same? And the fact is both are true. There are, there are, there are people whose struggles in life are so complicated that they, they're just not getting to a place where they, where they don't need any help. On the other end of the spectrum, there's people that need help once in their life come to a food pantry, get the food they need, and you never see them again. They've figured out what they need to do from there. And, and again, who are we talking about? College students. Right. You know, we had, I want to say we've had at least three shows where we've talked about college students, at least three. Right. Right. And how at that time in their life, even, even young people who are otherwise set as far as financially, they, they get into you know, situations at this time in their life where they, they just don't know how to manage all the ins and outs of their budgets and all of a sudden find themselves without any food. Well, how does that help them succeed in college, right? It doesn't. Well, if they should otherwise be financially set, do they not deserve help? Is that going to be our attitude? Well, what does that do, right? I mean, and you just take every group and you start walking down the path of, isn't it better for us all if that group doesn't struggle from the toxic stress of food insecurity? And we have yet to find a group that we can name 
that all of us aren't better off if that group is not food insecure or is food secure, to put it in the positive. Those are the things that go through my mind. So who wins when we win? Who wins when we win? Everybody. (laughs) Pretty much everybody. That's probably why we hadn't run out of guests yet. Um, And why we haven't run out of things to talk about, because there's so many perspectives you can look at this from. But from every perspective, we kind of come to the same place where we say, well, it seems pretty obvious that if this problem is solved... You win, you win, you win, you It's like the Oprah show, right? You and you and you. <laughs> Everybody wins. Everybody wins. So who wins when we win? And just to talk about a little bit, one segment of the population that you mentioned is, is education and students. So one of the things we said, um, you know, we had the president of Northern Michigan University with us, and he was one of the first gentlemen to share openly, my students are food insecure, and I've got to do something about it. And, and they led the work to really put a pantry on the campus. For example, uh, leading, up, leading up before we started our food pantry, and we actually still continue to do this, we've had uh, uh, food bags uh, and emergency meals that our uh, NMU police department had access to. So if they came across the student that was, you know, having a food emergency, that they could respond directly to that uh, with food. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as, we, as we kept watching that and more and more students having that, it became really clear we needed a structured uh, way to address the issue. But it doesn't matter if you're in the third grade, which we have a third grade reading law in Michigan, and if you're not well fed they'll never be well read so so from third grade to third year yep it doesn't matter if you don't have access to the food that you need then you're you're not going to be able to perform at a high level it doesn't matter if you're working or you're in the pursuit of an academic degree you're not going to be able to become who you could become if you don't have access to food. And, you know, one of the first policy conferences that, that, that we ever went to, there was a huge announcement. It was an entire panel about a, a group of, of, of people that were coming together, and they were going to invest a tremendous amount of money. I mean, like, like half a billion dollars on early childhood education. And, and when I, I, after the session, I listened to the entire session, and I went to one of the principal leaders of that session, and I said, hey, I just got one quick question. Appreciate the session. Thank you. This is the value of the policy conference put on by the Re- Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce. You could have a conversation with just about anyone. And I walked up to this gentleman, and I said, so I appreciate all your efforts. I, I love what you're doing. Let me ask you one question. Has, have you guys considered anything that has to do with food security for children if you're going to invest a half a billion dollars on helping kids get a head start. And food security had never entered their minds. And it was very simple. If they're not well fed, they'll never be well read. And, and we can debate whose responsibility that is. But if your goal is to make sure that kids are reading by third grade level at third grade and you do not address the food insecurity needs of families because you cannot have a food secure student or child in a food insecure home. 
That's another Jerryism. <laughs> well, so when we onboard our staff at the food bank, we have a, a little a little slide deck that we use to kind of describe the problem, you know, sort of from Gleaner's perspective. <clears throat> and about the third slide in, there's a slide that says how complex problems are solved. And it's got three things on one side of the slide that says define the problem, weigh solutions, pick the best solutions. That's on one side. On the other side of the slide, it says how problems are not solved. Argue about the problem, decide what's popular, and do what you can. <laughs> so what you just mentioned <clears throat> about this group that was trying to, to make an impact on education really has everything to do with defining the problem. Have we sat down and defined the problem. And this is why we have to work together. This is why nobody can do this alone. And honestly, one of the reasons I got into food banking to begin with is because we work with so many people, thousands of organizations who we work with, who we get input from, and literally hundreds of thousands of individuals who use our services, who we talk to on a regular basis. You cannot define the problem well alone. Right. right? Now, you might think, Everyone you need to talk to, you've already talked to. So here's what happens. People think they've talked to everyone. They've started to move forward. It's been a big process, sometimes years long. And then somebody like you pops out of the woodwork that says, wait a minute, you didn't talk to me. You didn't talk to us. And, and this is what's going to happen if you don't address this, right? With data, with a lot of information, with personal experience, this is what's going to happen. So what does the group that's been working on this for two or three years do at that point? Hmm. Besides go, oh, crap. <laughs> right. But that's, you know, it's so important. And again, I get back to the value of the show. We, are on, we do this show to continue to remind people... This is a complex problem. We have a lot to learn. We've got to keep learning from each other. But we will make progress when we do it. It doesn't mean do nothing until you talk to everybody. But it does mean take the right amount of time, be incredibly thoughtful, and then start making progress where it makes the most sense to start. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food First Michigan. This is our anniversary show, and we're both back with you in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks, everyone. Jerry and I are back with you on our five-year anniversary show. I can't believe it's been five years. And, you know, I can't go through the re any more of this show without calling out our producer, Mark Blackwell. And he's... We're, it's the three of us, right? It really is. It really is. And so we genuinely appreciate Mark. He's the essence of who he is as a person, but also his amazing skills that make us sound way smarter than we actually are. <laughs> so thank you, Mark. Everyone should have a Mark in their life. There's no <laughs> or, question about or, it. And some of us need more than one. <laughs> so, uh, Jerry, we're talking about who wins when we win as some of the learnings that have come out of you know, I mean, we've had guests in here and they've said things and both of our jaws have like hit the floor or the desktop at least. And we went, holy smokes, man, I can't believe that. 
and how that's related to our work of creating a food secure state. What were some of those gleanings? I like that, being that we're Gleaners Food Bank. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so for me, I, the scientists come to mind. We've had a, we've had a lot of scientists on the show. Uh, but I will never forget uh, when we talked to Cheryl Kirstenbaum about the cost in energy, just the cost in energy when we grow food and it's not consumed. From a food waste perspective, what we know is that In the U.S., we're throwing away almost half of the food we produce. It's 1,400 calories per person per day, which is absolutely absurd when you think about at the same time the fact that so many people also don't have enough to eat, that kids are going to school without having breakfast because they they can't afford to have breakfast in the morning. I mean, it's, it's absolutely absurd and ridiculous, and there's so much we can do on a topic like food waste that would not only be good for the environment, which I think is the frame a lot of us think about food waste in, but that also could be redistributed to have a real impact in the lives of families. And at the same time, a topic I've been working on my entire career is climate change. When she said it, we both were like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? But I mean, it, it's so obvious when you, when somebody does that, that you go, you know, it's important that we talk to these people and really learn what are the consequences of of not utilizing the food that's available specifically to make sure that we can address food insecurity. And yes, there's logistics that are needed and other costs to do that, but we have that. As food banks across the country, we have the logistical capacity to reach the people that need to be reached. And we learned that during the pandemic. We didn't know that when we heard about energy at the beginning. I think that was one of our earliest shows. Yeah, second year maybe. And uh, and now we do, though. Now we know we can do it. And so, again, that's something that comes to mind as Just the inner how how interconnected these issues, these huge issues that we're facing as a people, as humankind. You know, here's climate change and how intricately it is linked to food security. Well, and climate change on the front end, that's the energy to produce the food. There's also a tremendous impact on the back end when that food goes into a landfill. Food that's actually grown goes through the whole food supply chain, including retail shopping. It gets to somebody's house and then it gets thrown away anyway. Yeah. Right. That food has an impact after it gets thrown away, which is incredibly detrimental to the environment. And I think she told us that over 40% of the food that is wasted and ends up in a landfill comes out of our refrigerators. Right. Right. It's not like huge industrial waste here. It's that we're we're overbuying. Right. Because we want to be good hosts and hostesses, right? Right. Well, we got we got really huge refrigerators too. Well, that's true too. <laughs> we talked about it connected to that, we talked about what are the policy implications of these realities, right? How do we how do we legislate what to do with the resources that we have in a responsible way, right? So do we legislate things like you have to have a special bin to recycle food products so it can be composted? Right. And so you get rid of all the methane gas out of the landfills. It's a good idea, but it's not free, right? So how would that be managed? What would the what would the the cost benefit of just that one application be? I mean again, 
why is this all connected to food security? Because if the food doesn't go to waste to begin with, if it's actually consumed, you eliminate a lot of these problems, right? So our challenge becomes how do we turn food food that is not being consumed today into food that is consumed tomorrow and what are the paths consequences costs and benefits of all of those solutions and of course that's what we're talking about define the problem we're Mm -hmm. adding more definition to the problem now right then weigh the possible solutions against each other then pick the best ones and you don't have to solve the whole problem at once well, let me get, let me throw one out at you, the who wins when we win and and the learnings that we we gained from listening to our guest here in in our studio. How about the cost attributed to healthcare because of food insecurity? It's over a billion a year, right? It's I know I can't re- I it's, I mean it's it's a big big number. I mean, we've had a lot of healthcare folks on this show. I mean, I think about Susan Hawkins, who at that time was a part of Henry Ford Health System, all the way down to Dominic Pallone, who is now on our board of directors, who's the CEO for the Michigan Association of Health Plans. Our friends at Blue Cross Blue Shield, doctors, uh, you know, Dr. Bouvier. I mean, all we've had a tremendous, our own Dr. Dawn Opal, who is leading this work at the Food Bank Council about how do we integrate food security and health care and create a food as medicine programs. Working on emergency food during COVID, I've seen firsthand how, you know, when people can no longer visit their older adult relatives to, because of the very real risk of transmitting the virus and the disproportionate effect on older adults, that social isolation has had real material effects on the lives of older adults. Oftentimes your kids, they bring food when they come over and, you know, there's a, a sharing and a, and a network that that broke down during COVID because those people couldn't be together. And it's the same with uh, friend, you know, friendship networks and affinity networks like your running group. And it becomes very, very isolating and, and amplified in the terms of need. It's cheaper to solve the problem than to have it continue without a doubt. And healthcare, healthcare, education, I mean, this is, there's so many ways that the long-term cost of not solving this problem gets borne by all of the society, right? We know when a child is born, if in the womb the mother was not well-nourished, there are consequences to that child, right, for the rest of their life. We know that in the first three years of life, if that child is not well-nourished, there are learning consequences and physical development and brain development consequences that persist through that child's entire life. Well, who's going to pay for those problems? And what will it cost to solve those problems versus let's just make sure every expecting mother and every child is well-nourished. The the cost-benefit is astonishingly different. Right. Right? It's astonishing. By the time if you don't solve the problem with nutrition, some of those problems you can't solve at any cost. Right. Right. It's ongoing cost. Right. And, you know, and thankfully, in recent months, there has been some effort to lower the cost of drugs associated with these chronic diseases like diabetes and insulin. But, you know. We've said on here before, we got a couple of folks mad at us because we know so we don't really have a health care system. We really have a sick care system. Right. And right. so what, a lot of what we're talking about is investment that would prevent 
you know, the onset of, of, chron- of some chronic diseases like diabetes, you know, um, blood pressure and, and those type of things where we know diet has a direct correlation to that person's health and therefore their quality of life. So there's lots of win there. And I know I, you said a billion dollars a year, and I think it's like even more than that. You know, so it's, it is a tremendous amount. You know what? I'm going to just confess here. I'm a bad host because I lost track of the time. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back for another segment. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food First Michigan. Food First Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson. Can you believe it's been five years? <laughs> I'm stuck on that, man. It's just amazing to me. You still look great, Doctor. Five <laughs> years later, I wouldn't know you for a day older. Yeah, you're kind and blind. <laughs> 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 so I appreciate that. Um, I'm just thinking about the people that we've had here, you know, uh, in our Feeding America world. Where we, we've kind of made a shift here, Jerry, where we're really over the last few years have really concentrated to say that the families that we're serving are also a part of the solution. And we're listening to people with lived experience. In fact, we did a show where the roles were kind of reversed here and you were the host and the interviewer and you interviewed me because there was a chapter in my life that, that I was, me and my two youngest sons were both food insecure. And so people with lived experience and so to feel some of that, you, one of the things you say is people wait, normally wait too long to get help. And one of the reasons we wait too long to get help is because we're so embarrassed. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of those things that I, I think it's important for all of us to learn is that if, if we, we there's, there's a lot of assumptions about what people are doing, when and how they get help. And, and we know that the first thing people do is try to solve it themselves. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people try to solve their own problems before asking for help. It's just true. They go to friends and family first, always, always, always. And they wait till they run out of everything before they decide they're going to go to a pantry. And part of the reason people wait so long is embarrassment. Right. The, the places they're going aren't, aren't necessarily the kinds of places you want to bring a child to. You know, there's other people hanging around and other things going on that you might go, oh, I, I, you know. But also just to admit to yourself, I, I can't do this alone. You know, right. we're, a, we're a community in general that, that appreciates the up by your bootstraps idea, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have pride. Which in fact, is probably the best monologue I did in five years. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> was my bootstrap <laughs> monologue. Yeah, right. So, so I mean, but but getting back to you, we're talking about healthcare. You know, we don't we don't want to provide food to people who are in a healthcare situation, whether it's because they have a chronic disease or we're trying to prevent a chronic disease because they're poor. Right. We want to give them the food as part of a treatment plan so they can better manage their life. And most people feel better about that than getting food because they're poor or because their financial situation changed. And again, it's it's related to employment. It's related to losing a loved one through death or divorce. Mm -hmm. It's related to having a health concern that changes your life overnight. There's a lot of things that happen in people's life that that make them need some help for a period of time. It's not 
about one thing, it's about many things. But the more we remove the stigma from the system, because we're not assuming that they did something wrong or, you know, they're not smart enough to figure this out, right? But actually something happened to them where they need a little help to get to get back on their feet or to or to think about what they need to do in their life. Those are really different attitudes about people coming for help. And we need to encourage a more positive attitude about these systems because the the most positive attitude is this. When someone comes in your house, the first thing you do is offer them something to drink or something to eat. It's hospitality. There's no stigma against hospitality. Right. You don't go, you know why I'm offering you something to eat in my house? Because, you know, you're kind of a loser that's made a lot of mistakes and I want to help you. That's not what you do. Somebody comes to your house and out of gratitude and graciousness, you offer them something, right? That's that's positive, you know? Well, we use food to communicate value. That's what we do, right? And... And so I'm thinking about the stigma you're talking about because I I felt that shame, right? Even when, like, you know, you're going through the checkout line and you got your bridge card and you kind of slide it, but you hide it when you slide it so that even the cashier or the people standing in line around you don't know that you're using that snap card or, or what used to be called food stamps. Donna Murray Brown, who is the president and CEO for the Michigan Nonprofit Association. There were programs and services that my family took advantage of. One of those um, in particular was at Focus Hope. Uh-huh. Um, we got lots of our food from Focus Hope. Um, and at that time, it was a little different. It was um, We were very grateful to have that ability to, to get food. But when I think about the programs um, now and having choice and um, creating an environment where it looks like a supermarket and you can kind of choose what you want, it wasn't that option back Right. then. Um, and there was quite a bit of a stigma um, then to be able to uh, to get food uh, right. from food programs. And unfortunately, at that time, I can remember um, the food pro- the food from the food programs was clearly identified with stripes on the cans and red letters or black and white. And right. if you had people over, you know, friends over and they looked in your cupboards, which I tried to always prevent anyone from looking in our cupboards right. because I didn't want anyone to know that we were actually getting um, food assistance. But I want, to, I want to give you something here, Jerry, that piggybacks exactly what you're saying. The first thing I'm going to give you is a quote from Booker T. Washington, who said, Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which they have overcome in order to achieve. And I'm going to give you a quick example. Dr. Delicia Pruitt, who is the chief medical officer for Saginaw County, has been a guest on this show, a recipient of a Governor's Service Award, served on the Governor's Food Security Council with me, tells a story about going to get a job at Burger King, and she told the management, you should hire me because I'm really good at math. And when she worked at Burger King, she got lunch. So she would get a Whopper and fries and a drink, and she would invite her twin sister to come to Burger King on her lunch hour, and they would cut the Whopper in half, and she would share her meal with her twin sister. That woman today is a medical doctor, the chief medical officer for Saginaw County, and a professor at Central Michigan University. You don't judge a person by their obstacles. You judge them by what they overcame in order to be successful. And because you were food insecure does not define you. Right. Right. 
And if we let it define people, if we make it onerous and difficult to get help, all of the benefits that come from solving the problem dissipate and we act we actually spend more so again it's it's a multifaceted issue that we have to be aware of um, each of the facets and the more we learn the more capable we are of taking into account all the things you need to know so not only that you can serve people well but you got to be able to tell the story well. You've got to be able to get support. You've got to be able to get people involved. It's going to take a lot of people to have a food secure community. And if they don't know why and what and how these dynamics, you know, behave, well, it's harder to get their support. Not because people aren't generous, but because the fact is they just don't know. So, so the show, and I want to talk about the next five years too, right? In the next five years, we're going to learn more. And in the 10-year review, we're going to be able to say 10 more things that we didn't know right now, even though we've done 229 shows. The next 229 shows, we're going to learn more, and we're going to continue to bring more people to the table who know they win when this problem is solved, and we're going to keep moving this conversation forward. People have more opportunity now than they've ever had. I, I'll just say this. In 35 years of doing this work, if you're hungry today, if you need help today, your ability to get access to food is significantly greater than it has ever been. And in five years, it's going to be greater until we take away the toxic stress of not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. Is it going to be five years? I promise you five years from now, it'll be better. It'll be different for sure. It'll be different. I, I, I love everything you said there. Um, I think we've, we've, we've got one more wrap-up session here, but I can tell you, my friend, um, it's been an amazing journey. Five years, and people ask us all the time, you do this show weekly? Well, now you know why. Right. We don't run out of topics. We don't run out of people. We don't run out of opportunities to discuss this because food affects us every day in every way. Amen, Doctor. Amen. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back to wrap up this anniversary show on Food First Michigan. Welcome back to the five-year anniversary show of Food First Michigan. Our sponsors, I mentioned them in the monologue, the, the family of companies at Farm Bureau. That's the insurance company on one side. They they support us, have supported us from, from day one. Uh, Jim Robinson was the CEO then. And, and um, you know, it's, I, I remember giving Jim a call and say, hey, I got this idea and um, I want to do this show and I want to do it on WJR. And uh, Jim was all in and, you know, it was a very unconventional way to ask for marketing dollars. <laughs> but he believed in us and our mission. And now to see how the entire Farm Bureau family of companies have shifted from a for-profit focus to a for-purpose focus, which we've had m many of their them on the show through the years to talk about. Um, I also want to say very quickly, um, you know, we talked about Mark, our producer, but I want to give a shout out also to Jeff Marcero, who is the sales manager here at the director of sales for WJR, who heard me speak and 
came up with this idea. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Edge Partnerships and Lori Richard in particular, who's, who helped bring this, in, this idea of a show to life. So it's, it's been a pretty good run, Jerry. And I want to thank our sisters who keep listening. I mean, when we look at the numbers, we keep seeing them there. So it's right. like, oh, well, that's nice. You well, know we I should mean? have had more sisters. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is pretty phenomenal that, you know, what happens here with the show is, um, you know, it gets recorded here. It gets played on WJR Sunday nights, 9 o'clock. Um, the shows, the other shows here, um, you know, help promote our show. Even they believe in our work. I think Paul W. Guy Gordon, you know, uh, Kevin Dietz, all these guys believe in this work and they believe in us. And then also, um, you know, it, it, our team takes it and converts it to a podcast. Uh, and then it, you know, it goes all over. And the last I heard, I think there were 14 subscribers from 14 different countries to our Food First podcast. So that's kind of cool. And we got an award for that, you know? A couple uh, even. Which is kind of fun because, uh, you know, to be awarded the the podcast that most uh, comprehensively addresses this issue or something like that. But yeah. uh, but that was nice. That was nice. Yeah, we got that. That was a bit of a national award even. And the Michigan Association of Broadcasters has awarded this show you know, a couple of times, uh, if not three. And so we, we're, we want to do this with excellence, um, you know, and, but we, we really want to continue to change the conversation. And, you know, I think that, that as we have grown and are continuing to grow, that disparities and equity, as we've learned about those, become a bigger part of our work as well. Yeah, so lots of work left to do. Lots of work that we've done and lots of gratitude for all of you who've been with us on this journey and to continue to listen to Food First Michigan. We do put food first. We make the case for why to put food first and hopefully give you a chuckle or two along the way at the same time. Well, it's been great, Jerry. It's time for a little food for thought. So let me close this show with another Jerryism. Jerry says, the less you know about a problem, in fact, you said it earlier in the show, the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. And you may have thought of that one on your own one day as you were sitting around contemplating the meaning of life or whatever. And if you did, I'm glad you chose to invest your one handful of life in this work because there was another guy, quite successful, said something similar, and it's important two as we strive to solve food insecurity in our state. Malcolm Forbes said, it is so much easier to suggest solutions when you don't know too much about the problem. I personally like Jerry's quote better, but the point is we must learn, we must continue to learn to understand more and better. So one day, we can rid this state, this country, and even this world of the evil that is hunger. To do that, we will need to use better thinking to solve it than we use to create it, and that's Albert Einstein. I am not sure how we solve the whole problem, but I do know how we start to solve it. We start by putting and keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.